Our God is an awesome God. It is so wonderful to be able to get together here this morning when uh, most of the rest of Canada's uh, population is locked down this morning and can't get together. But uh, it's a pleasure to be able to get together and worship and just to be uh, celebrate our risen Savior. What a wonderful, wonderful greatest thing in the history of the world. Thank you. 
We lift you up. We glorify you. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ our King. Oh Lord, we are in awe of you. When we were lost in our sins, you saw us. Lord, you looked ahead in time and saw lost humanity. Even us here today, and you made a way for us. There is none like you, Lord. We honor you. We love you. There is none like you. Lord, we think of those that are sick this morning, those that need your healing. And we thank you, Lord, that you are with them, just as you were here with us this morning. Passover meal with them. It was a joy. He said that it was a joy that you have looked forward to being with them, to sharing this time with them. And Lord, you created this new covenant in your blood. They had no idea what you were talking about at the time or what was about to happen. Lord, for to them it would seem like the world was falling apart. And even to us, sometimes it feels like our world is falling apart. But really, it's you putting the pieces together. Nothing escapes your care, Lord. And we are so thankful that as you took that bread and you broke it, you said, this is my body that's broken for you. Only hours later, you would be arrested and go through terrible, terrible, pain and agony for us. And we remember that and we thank you. Lord, you broke that bread and passed it. It said to each one, you take it. And Lord, we do that this morning, remembering all that you've accomplished for us. Let's eat together.
And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, Lord, we, we remember and we give thanks. We're thankful today, Lord, that you shed your blood for us. But that's not the end of the story. We are so thankful, Lord, that on the third day that you arose and that you've given us that hope that one day, too, we will arise and be with you for eternity. See our loved ones again. To be in your presence. See you face to face. Lord, I cannot think of anything that I would rather see. Lord, we give you thanks as we drink this together.
Suppose you were walking down a road and suddenly came to a fork and you didn't know what way to go. And at this fork, there were two men, one dead and one alive. Which one would you ask for directions? <laughs> a man once asked his friends this question as a response to when they asked him why he was a Christian. He chose to put his faith in Jesus because Jesus is alive. For six weeks, we've been studying prophecies that look ahead to the death of Jesus as a substitutionary sacrifice to pay for the sins of humankind. We call the day that Jesus was sacrificed Good Friday. And it isn't called good because it was a happy day. Rather, it referred to the more traditional understanding of the word good, that which is morally right or righteous. It's called Good Friday because through the sacrifice of Jesus on Good Friday, we can now be righteous and good in God's sight. And that's what we've been looking forward to for these past six weeks. Today, however, is the day that we, as the church, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This is the day in which we celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. We often use these formal, churchy phrases when we talk about these things, so I really want to emphasize this in clear language Today is the day in which we as a church celebrate the fact that Jesus literally and physically came back to life after being literally and physically dead for days. And we celebrate this because we believe that this is true. We believe that this really happened, that it's a historical event. And the resurrection has been a stumbling block to people ever since the day it happened. Because death is final. People don't just wake up from the dead after days of being in the grave. I'm just going to move this a little bit. It's kind of... That's a little better. Dead is dead. And in the case of Jesus, dead was really meant to be dead. He was crucified. And then after dying, he was stabbed in the side with a spear just to make extra sure that he was very much dead. And as soon as Jesus was discovered to not be in his tomb where he was supposed to be, because, you know, he was supposed to be dead, a rumor was started that his body had been stolen by his disciples. Because from the very beginning, people have been trying to lie about the resurrection of Jesus because they recognize the power of it. Unfortunately for them, it's hard to convince people that Jesus had not risen from the dead when he was walking around and talking to people. In total, we know that there was at least 516 people who saw Jesus alive. 516. But still many did not believe. Some suggested that he hadn't come back to life and that people were lying about it. Some suggested that Jesus experienced only a spiritual resurrection, that his body was still dead, that he only appeared to be alive. Or if they were finally convinced that Jesus had resurrected from the dead, they didn't believe that they would be resurrected someday. You know, okay, well, I guess Jesus can have risen from the dead, but for everyone to resurrect from the dead someday, that's a little far-fetched. It's been a struggling 
point. It's been a, a stumbling block for thousands of years, and people still struggle with it today because it doesn't make sense to us. It isn't scientifically feasible. When you die, your body immediately begins to break down, and after days, there's definitely no coming back. But Jesus did. The theology of the resurrection is central to everything that we believe as a church, and this is why Easter is the most important holiday in the Christian calendar. Because with the resurrection, we have new life, and the promise of a resurrection of our own. But without the resurrection... All that we have is false hope. Everything we believe rests on this one thing. Every believer must believe in the resurrection because without it, our faith is in nothing. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians today, chapter 15, verse 12 to 20. And this is what it says. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Because if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. For if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. So, before we go too far, let's talk about Corinth a little bit, because um, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. So he wrote this in the mid-50s AD, um, about 20-ish years, 18 to 20 years after Jesus had been crucified. And he wrote this letter to address a huge list of problems in the church. So Corinth was one of the chief commercial cities in the Roman Empire. It was a bustling place, there was a lot of traffic. It was a port city and it had a reputation for rowdiness. Now, Corinth had two patron deities. There was Poseidon, god of the sea, and then Aphrodite, goddess of sensual love. And the worship of Aphrodite was huge in the city of Corinth. So, as you can imagine, being a port town um, with a huge population, and also the center of worship of the goddess of sensual love, it was the definition of a rowdy port town. And it earned such a reputation that being called a Corinthian in the first century was a euphemism for being a partier. So it's, it's no surprise that Paul has to write this letter to address a laundry list of ethical problems in the church at Corinth. Now something else you should know about the people in Corinth is that resurrection from the dead was not a familiar concept to them. So unlike the Jews in Palestine, who, for the most part, did believe in a bodily resurrection, most of the Greek and the Roman world did not. So, understandably, the farther you got away from Palestine and Jerusalem, uh, the more there were issues around the theology of the resurrection. So, first of all, none of these people, or presumably most of them, were not there to see Jesus alive when he had risen from the dead. So, 
you know, if you were lucky enough to live in Jerusalem, if you knew who to talk to, like 516 people, you can find someone who saw him alive. You, you can find someone who can say, oh yeah, no, I saw him like a week after he was crucified. Yeah, oh, he looked great. But if you live halfway across the Mediterranean world, you're not that lucky. So you're kind of taking someone's word for it. It's a bigger jump for them. It, it was fair to say that this was, Christianity was their first introduction to the idea of a resurrection. So when Paul wrote this, uh, this letter to 1 Corinthians, he was dealing with some very real and serious doubts about the fact that there would be a resurrection of Christians someday. So going back to our passage, I'll read these first couple verses again. It says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So what Paul is doing here is he walks through this logical argument that illustrates the consequences of denying the possibility of a resurrection from the dead. He points out that they're denying that resurrection is possible, and if resurrection is impossible, then obviously Jesus couldn't have been raised from the dead either. And certainly they must believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead because they're Christians. So how can they say that people don't resurrect from the dead? If they accept this fact that Jesus is raised from the dead, it shows that it is possible. And that's the building block here for him. He was fully God. Jesus was. But he was also fully human. And he died a very much human death. Remember, he was dead and buried for days. His soul had left his body. And all the physical things that happen when someone dies happen to Jesus' body. He was fully God, but he was very much dead. And if they truly believed that it was absolutely absurd that people could come back from the dead, then it logically follows that Jesus did not rise either for the same reasons. He faced all the same challenges that anyone else did if they were dead. So if there's no resurrection of the dead, Jesus did not rise either. That's the first consequence of denying Resurrection. And then Paul continues to explain what this means for them in the following verses. First he says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So resurrection, or rejecting the resurrection of the saints is to reject the resurrection of Jesus, and therefore the gospel. Because the gospel means good news. And without the good news of Jesus' resurrection, there is no gospel. Without no gospel, there's no gospel. It tears the heart right out of it. There's nothing there. There's no good news to share. It leaves it lifeless. Without the resurrection, our faith is pointless, and so would be my preaching. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what is there for me to preach about? All preaching comes out of this one event. We preach the good news about Jesus. And if Jesus has not been raised, there's no good news for me to preach about. Without the resurrection, our entire belief in Jesus is false. This is the logical, logical consequence of that condition or particle in the Greek translations of this letter. So, uh, in this verse, the word that we translate as useless, its literal translation means empty. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, 
all the preaching that everyone has done for the last 2,000 years has nothing to it, no substance. It's empty and pointless. It's the resurrection that shows us that God is active in Jesus. And if the resurrection did not take place, then the gospel is a sham. And if the gospel is a sham, then so is the faith it produces. So that's the second consequence of denying the resurrection. Paul elaborates on this, and he carries this to its next logical conclusion. He says, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised, for the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. So we have to remember here, Paul was a Pharisee before his conversion. He gave up his career as a religious leader to preach the gospel of Christ. So if he did not raise from the dead, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then Paul turned his back on God for heresy. He preached things about God that, in that case, would not have been true, misleading thousands of people. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then everything we've preached is not only empty and pointless, but I'm a heretic, and so are we all. Because we have testified against God if Jesus is not raised from the dead. Now, Paul's making an assumption here about the Corinthians. He's assuming that the Corinthians couldn't believe that the apostles were heretics because they had seen too much evidence with their own eyes to show that they were speaking the truth. They had seen miracles happen. People had spoken in tongues. There is no possible way that they could have been lying about all of this. There was too much evidence. But his logic process here stands that if the resurrection were not true, then everyone who has preached in the name of Jesus has testified against God and is a heretic. That's the third consequence of denying the resurrection. Then finally, Paul brings this argument to its very obvious conclusion. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. So without the resurrection, not only is all my preaching useless, not only am I a heretic, not only is my faith empty and pointless, but anyone who has put their faith in Jesus has no hope of eternal life. If there's no resurrection, we're all still in our sin we all will still have to answer and pay the penalty for every sin we've ever committed. We are still prisoners to sin. We're still dead in our sin. Without the resurrection of Jesus, sin still rules over our lives. If we set our hope in Jesus and there's no resurrection, then we are to be pitied above all, because if there's no resurrection, we are a sad and deluded people. If there's no resurrection, we've set our hopes on a Lord who, think, who we think will bring us a richer and fuller life, but in reality, all that distinguishes us from others is a special form of hardship. And not only that, but everyone who has died believing in Jesus would have perished into eternal judgment if the resurrection were not true. And that's the fourth consequence of denying the resurrection. But then we come to verse 20. Paul says, 
but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's what we're here to celebrate, not just on Easter, and not just on Sunday, but every day. This is the hope that we profess, the only hope that we have. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He was physically brought back to life by God, and he is still alive today. So because Jesus has been brought back to life, because Jesus is alive, because there is a resurrection, here are three reasons why we have as a church to celebrate. First, because there is a resurrection, we have power over sin. Without the resurrection, the gospel has no power. There's, there's no good news if Jesus was not raised from the dead, but he has been raised from the dead, and there is a resurrection. And because of that, we are no longer slaves to sin. Romans 6, verse 3-7 says, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When we were baptized into his death, we were placed in the tomb with him. And as Christ was brought back from death to life by the glorious power of the Father, so we too should live a new kind of life. If we become united with him in death, certainly we will also be united with him when we come back to life as he did. We know that the person who, was, who we used to be was crucified with him to put an end to sin in our bodies. Because of this, we are no longer slaves to sin. The person who has died has been freed from sin. Through Jesus and his death and his resurrection, we have died to sin. Our sin was placed in the tomb with him. And just as Jesus was brought back to life, we also are brought into a new life. Our old selves have died. We are no longer slaves. We are children of God, free from the power of sin over our lives. And that gives us power over sin. Romans 6.14 says, For the sin will no, will, shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Without a resurrection, we are still slaves to sin, but because there is a resurrection, we have power over sin. Second, because there's a resurrection, we do have eternal life. If there's no resurrection, there's no gospel. And if there's no gospel, then we're still in our sin. And if we're still in our sin, then we have to pay the wages of sin. Romans 3.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But Jesus has been raised from the dead. And because of that, the penalty for sin has been paid for. And he offers us eternal life instead. The second part of Romans 3, 23 says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this means not only do we have eternal life, but we will also be resurrected one day just like Jesus. And not only will we be resurrected, but we will be given new heavenly bodies like Jesus. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Without the resurrection, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we still owe a great debt. 
a great, a too great of a debt to pay, a debt that demands our life. But because there is a resurrection, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, the penalty for our sin has been paid in full. Our slates have been wiped clean, and we've been given the gift of eternal life through Jesus instead. Third, because there is a resurrection, we have a purpose. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, if there's been no resurrection, then everything I've preached about since I came here in January has been meaningless, pointless. I've wasted my time, and if there's no resurrection, you've all wasted your time in coming and listening to this. Everything we do as Christians and as a church, it only matters if Jesus has been raised from the dead. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no gospel. Without the gospel, all we have to fall back on is the law of Moses. And Paul says that no one will be justified by the law of Moses, by keeping the commandments. Because he tells us in Romans that all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. Without a resurrection, there's no point or purpose to anything that we do, and the world should pity us for our delusion. But because there is a resurrection, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we do have a purpose, and there is a gospel. The resurrection is the gospel. It is good news, and it needs to be shared with all. And the irony of the world today is that they believe that Christianity establishes a high standard that they can't achieve, and that we are all hypocrites because we look down on others for not meeting a standard that we don't meet ourselves. That's the Christianity that a lot of the world sees. But the truth is, the gospel the good news is that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus paid for our sins. We don't have to meet a perfect standard anymore in order to be righteous in God's sight. God has given us freedom to pursue holiness in our lives personally without the fear of what happens when we fail. So of course we look like hypocrites. It's because we are. Every one of us. Not one of us meets God's standard for holiness. But God still loves us. He sent his son to die for us and to destroy death for us by coming back to life. And that is good news. Because there is a resurrection, your life matters. What we do with our lives matters. There is good news to be shared. You can change the lives of others by freeing them from the bondage to sin that you once lived in. Because there is a resurrection, our lives matter. Because there is a resurrection, we have a purpose both as Christians individually and as a church body. So in conclusion, on this Easter Sunday, Jesus is risen. He physically came back to life from death, and he's still alive today.
And thank goodness for that. Because if there's no resurrection, there's no good news. If he has not been risen, we are a rudderless boat with no hope, purpose, or direction, wasting our lives in pursuit of a lie. But because he has been risen, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are dead to it. We have power over it. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we have the hope of life after death and a resurrection of our own. The penalty for our sin has been paid for, and we are now blameless in God's sight. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we have a purpose as a church, and our lives have meaning and purpose as believers. We have been given the greatest gift in history, and we are called to share it with the world. Because there is a resurrection, because there is a gospel, because Jesus lives, today is a day of celebration like no other. I'll close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your son and what you've done through him, changing the course of history, destroying the power of sin and death forever. I thank you that there is a resurrection. I thank you that Jesus rose from the dead bodily, defying all logic and science. And I thank you that someday we will do the same. And I ask that as we go out into the world, that we would be lights for you, and that we would be there and ready to share that good news with the world. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's close with uh, this morning.